I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. Okay. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so um, I've sobered up, but there's still some blackouts. And um... I worked in Hyman's and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later having a good time, baby. Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay. I'm your host. I'm here with you on a Wednesday morning with my co-host, Hannah Hogan. Hey, Dusty. Welcome back, Hannah. Hey, great to be back, Dusty. We're excited that you're here. I'm excited. We've had uh, a fun couple of days. Mm -hmm. Being at home, I've been gone, been on the road, working comedy clubs, and now yeah. we're back, mm-hmm. and it feels fun. Yeah, you're back in the swing of things, huh? I am back in the swing of things. How's that swing treating you? Uh, it's going really well. Mm-hmm. But I want to get right into something. Yeah. Uh, my friend Troy Ritchie, who wrote that intro song, um, also wrote something else. Oh, pray tell. And he wrote... Um, I'm just trying to find it right now in my emails because I, you know, I don't do a lot of prep work. I have ideas. I say, all right, this is what I want to talk about. And then he sent me several versions, so I don't even know if this is the version. Oh, this is, that was, let's go one more back. Okay. So I like the song Take It Off by Kesha. I know that may come as a shock to some people that I like any Kesha song. But you know what? It was sometime around probably 2010 or 11. I was a trivia host. Uh, I was, you know. Okay, I was a trivia host. Hannah's adjusting her chair. I didn't know what she was doing. She does things and then and doesn't say out loud what it is, so I just said in confusion. Well, we're on the middle of the podcast. I don't want to interrupt you. I said in confusion. So this is around 2009, 10, 11, somewhere around there, and I'm hosting trivia, and I, I only listen to country and classic rock. So I need music to play for the trivia people that they'll also enjoy. I don't know why not everyone wants to listen to country nonstop, but they don't. So this is not Nashville. I was in Charleston. So I had to, I started listening to pop radio, trying to find songs. And, and cause I didn't have Spotify. I was just going and then downloading all these songs and then putting them onto, actually I was putting them onto a Microsoft Zoom, which the Zoom, um, Microsoft even dropped it. It was just the Zoom and I liked it. I thought it was great, but it really crashed and burned. Uh, but anyway, so I would download songs illegally off like BitChute, and then I would download them onto um, uh, you know my computer and then load. I was very old school. 
anyway, I had found Kesha. And I was like, man, I like this song. So I'm going to play the song, just some of the song right now. Just so you know what it is. Okay, so great song, as you can all tell, but it seems like your soul's being sucked away while you're listening to it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I like the lyrics. I always like the lyrical content, but I didn't like that. The way the bass comes in and it's like, and each time the bass hits, as it pulls away, it makes almost like a sucking noise. And then Kesha is, you know, I know why Jerry Seinfeld didn't want her to hug him at the award show that one time. And I felt bad for her because I actually think she's been through a lot of stuff. I mean, I followed some of her stuff. I think she's been through a lot of bad stuff. And nobody wants to give her any sympathy because she, oh, she's a pop star. She's crazy. And I, you know, I think she's been through some stuff. But I think Jerry was like, I'm trying to stay away from those demons. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to get that in my in my system. So... Anyway, so I, I had asked uh, a friend, Troy Ritchie, if he would make this a country song, a, a listenable song for me, and he did it. And now I'd like to play it. And I wish Hannah had headphones so she could listen with me. Well. But I'm going to play it right now. I'm going to play the full song. Unless, of course, I get into it and I find that this is not the right version. But here it is, Troy Ritchie. Take it off. There's a place downtown where the freaks all come around. It's a hole in the wall. It's a dirty peeper all yeah. When the dark of the night comes around, that's the time that the animal comes alive. Looking for something wild. Looking like in my gold trans Got a water bottle full of whiskey in my saddlebag Got my drunk text on, I'll regret it in the morning But tonight, I don't give a no, I don't give a I don't There's a place downtown where the freaks all come around It's a hole in the wall, it's a dirty creeper all And they turn me on, and they take it off And they take it off, everybody take it off There's a place I
what an incredible song. Yeah, it is a good song. I mean, Hannah... Uh, I've heard it. Has heard it several times before, and, and in many different versions. I mean, honestly, he sent us a version, just him playing it on the guitar, and it was pretty amazing, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but he put a lot of work into that, and um, it's great. I think it should be our new theme song. I mean, I want Troy Ritchie to cover every uh, heavy metal or pop song that I like uh, and make it more country so that I can enjoy it more. I mean, but I, I always thought that the Kesha song lyrically makes a great country song. And people would laugh all the time at that. They never would understand it. But I, you know, I don't expect people to understand everything that I understand. He messed around with a couple of lyrics, right? Well, I, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to take any credit away from Troy. But yeah, I mean, my, my initial thought was instead of uh, glitter on the floor, sawdust on the floor, and instead of uh, got... Uh, water bottle full of whiskey in my handbag. I said saddlebag. Right. So he worked those in. Yeah. I had a couple of other changes, but those changes came later, and I thought he maybe he already laid the track down before. But there's a um, he says we're looking like pimps in my gold Trans Am. Mm -hmm. I thought we could say now we're looking like Bert in my in my black Trans Am, and that Who's would Bert? Be, that would be Bert Reynolds. Uh, oh. From the movie Smokey and the Bandit. Now we're yeah. looking like Bert in my black Trans Am. Uh huh. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. But I think he had already laid the track down prior to that. But really great. Yeah, that's fun. It's a lot of fun. And we want to try to do something, you know. But if uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what, I don't know where Troy, Troy Ritchie is at with being signed by, you know, an agent. But, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this, you got to sign this guy. I mean, who, who can't. Uh, who turns a Kesha song into a country song? I mean, this is incredible. More often what's happening now, I feel like, is a lot of country artists are turning basically country lyrics into a pop song, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm itching for the country, you know? I mean, Johnny Cash, I don't know if you, how many people know, but it's like he took the song Hurt from the band Nine Inch Nails and made it a like an amazing country song, but he also did um, "Rusty Cage." I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. That is a Soundgarden song. Chris mm -hmm. Cornell, very hardcore. Yeah, I mean, nothing yeah. like a good country cover. Yeah, Johnny Cash covered a lot of stuff. I I've talked about this before, but Johnny Cash, to me, I never really liked the a the era of hurt with Johnny Cash. I like that song, but I didn't like that because I'm like, this is not the Johnny Cash that I grew up listening to. This is not uh um, you know Yeah, this is a weary old man. Yeah, it's not oh big river, you know, whatever that song is. I know a lot of Johnny Cash songs that I just can't think of any right now. But um I think that you have to look at them like two separate people. Like this is one Johnny Cash and this is two Johnny Cash. Because once you do that and you separate them, that that new Johnny Cash is amazing. I mean, what he's doing, I mean, so many songs. It's so great. And uh, I should do a Johnny Cash episode where I just talk about all the songs that he's covered. And maybe I will. This won't be it, but I will do that another time. Hannah doesn't wear headphones, so she wouldn't hear any of the songs that I play. Yeah. 
So that's fine. We're having a good time. Let's get into this. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. Where we've been, where we're going gets more exciting every week because I'm going places and I've been places. Let's talk about first where I've been. Where have I been? Raleigh, North Carolina at Good Nights Comedy Club. I never headlined a weekend at Good Nights. I've, I did a guest spot once for John Reap years ago, and then I did a uh, one-nighter, probably a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, uh, in 2018, January of 2018, with my wife, Hannah Hogan. Mm-hmm. I headlined, she featured, and we had a great time there. Mm-hmm. But that's the last time I've been there, and we're late 2020. Um, and I had a really great time. Uh, Matt White was my feature. I've known Matt White for a really long time, and um, he did a great job. The host, Justin Scranton. Never met Justin, but he did a great job. We had a solid show. Mellow Mike Miller came by and hung out with us in the green room a bit. I love Mellow Mike. Do you know Mellow Mike? Nah. Okay. Because, see, we felt like we knew each other, but we couldn't tell where. Well, with a name like that, you want to know him. Yeah, you do. It's Mellow, Mellow Mike. Yeah. yeah. He is coming, hanging. How do you get a nickname like that? Yeah. You got to be Mellow. You got to be chill. Yeah. And uh, so we hung and... Uh, it was just a great weekend, great shows. Um, a friend and friend uh, of the podcast, um, Heath. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read off his Instagram. I just gotta find it. It's H G B P U R O. H G B P U R O. If you want to follow him, if you're into cigars and stuff, uh, he smokes a lot of cigars. Shares the cigars. On there, talks about him. He sent me a bunch of cigars. Mm. He came to the show on Thursday, and him and his wife—I think it's wife—I don't know—could be girlfriend. I don't—I wasn't real clear. Could just be friends. Could be just. Well, I'm sure they were together, but I don't—I don't really ask those questions. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't really care about most people's marital status. Um, but they came, and they were—they, you know, we wanted to have a cigar. But it was it was uh, nighttime. Uh, Raleigh is still a bit closed down. There was nowhere really to go. But at my hotel, I had a patio, and so they were cool enough to not think it was too weird to go to the my hotel and out to the patio. So we did that. Had a cigar. It was a great time. We drug two chairs out of the room. There was no patio furniture. We drug two chairs out of the room, and then I took one chair from the club, and we. Uh, Sat out there, had cigars, great time. Great hang with Heath, and uh, he bought a shirt, had a wolf on it, and that's on his Instagram. Wow. So it was a great time. And then... Um, Didn't that- you say this was the guy that when you saw his face online, you know, you imagined him as a certain kind of looking person? Well, he shaved his beard, so he had a beard, and to me, he looked more hipster. And he looked like a guy that used to work at Zany's. I can't think of his name right now. I don't think he's there anymore, but he had dreads. And he used to, uh, he was he lived in Charleston, I think, for some time. And he, he used to make um, 
embroidered shirts. He was making an embroidered shirt for me with wolves on it, but then the pandemic happened. I haven't seen him in a long time. Um, and he just reminded me of him, but then Heath shows up and Heath is, you know, from rural North Carolina, a very Southern guy and with a shaved beard now. So it threw me, but it was great. It's interesting how you can see people and imagine them. And then you meet them and you're like, oh, well, that's not how I thought you would be. But that's what it's always like when you when you're, you know, on social media and you're scrolling through timelines and you see someone's, you know, small thumbnail avatar. Right. And then you're like, oh, what do they really look like? And then you zoom in and you're like, wow, that's not at all. Yeah. What that small image was projecting in my head. Right. But, you know, um, he had the same accent as my one of my former bosses, uh, Jason Pond, who is from Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a very southern but distinct type accent. It's like, like Jason was always very smart, right? But thick accent. I right? love that. You know, not something that, not an accent you necessarily associate. And that's, you know, that's what the rest of the country does to us us Southern people as we have, um, if we talk too Southern, they go, they must not be very smart, you know, and, uh, and that's fine. I mean, I think we say the same thing about a, uh, uh, a real thick, uh, Minnesota accent or, mm-hmm. or, uh, Wisconsin mm-hmm. or what is that? Um, where were we at? We were in Michigan, uh, where that girl said, Oh, we're going to go out on our pontoon boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of us is going to go out there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it, there's all kind of accents that people associate with unintelligent, but it doesn't mean anything. But anyway, so it was a great weekend. I hung out with Larry Weaver last time. I, if you haven't watched my video, Matt Price made a video for us, which was really good about my last trip to Raleigh, North Carolina. I was doing the improv, and uh, Larry Weaver took us to the uh, Angus Barn. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And so I took Larry to a uh, much less expensive uh, Mexican restaurant to pay him back. Right on, Dusty. <laughs> Class act over here. <laughs> I mean, Larry. Are you, I didn't realize you took him there. Well, you even told me later you didn't think it was that good. Well, no, um, I didn't think the food was that good. But, um, you know, Larry sent me a few options. I yeah, mean, and it was cheap, so that was good. We're, no, we're limited on options okay. right now, you know. And I don't, I don't mean it like that. I mean, when I make the joke. It seems like I'm being funny. When you make the joke, it seems like it was the plan all along <laughs> to take <laughs> to take Larry to a cheap restaurant. But no, I did want to. Larry took me to the Angus Barn, right? And I had, you know, I was rolling the Matt Price. Matt Price was going around with me filming stuff. And then we also had our feature for the weekend, Tyler Wood, uh, the last time. And he wanted to get lunch, too. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring them along. And I think the Angus Barn was pretty expensive. At the end of the meal, Larry paid for all of our checks. And I was like, dang, Larry, like I didn't, you didn't need to do all that. So, you know, I needed to pay him back with some tacos. Yeah. (laughs) Mediocre tacos, let's be honest. But Larry had the salmon. It might've been, it might've been better. Mm. But uh, actually I had fried green tomatoes there. They were good, but the tacos weren't, it was like, it's like you go to a place and there's a lot of ground beef on the tacos, Yeah, but it's not very flavorful. 
They're just like, I'm just eating a lot of beef for nothing. I don't like it when there's a lot of like American cheese on it. Oh, I don't like that either. A when lot there's of just shredded a lot cheese. of shredded cheese, and I'm like, I don't know. I do, do. I guess Americans love it because it's just that's just what you get down here. A lot of gravy, a lot of cheese. I used to love it. I used to love a lot of cheese on stuff, but now I don't. So you got a fried green tomato, huh? Yeah. What's that all about? Because I don't really think of you as someone that likes tomatoes. Well, I like fried stuff. And this was also fried green tomatoes with uh, pimento cheese. Mm, that's that's what I was missing in that <laughs> yeah, yeah, equation. Yeah. Because the t- pimento cheese is probably one of the most beautiful things that America's ever invented. This Mexican restaurant did have a really good pimento mm. cheese. I mean, and it was like, you know, it's like a Mexican restaurant, but like a, like a white owned. I don't know who owns it. But that's the best way. A I can, white infused Mexican restaurant. Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, it's it's um, it's it's not got a hipster vibe. It's got a very corporate vibe. Uh-huh. You know, and you know our waiter, he was a nice enough guy, but he was you know he was dressed way too nice for the job that he was doing. And then my water was empty, and he goes, "Do you want more water?" And it's like, "Yeah, dude. Every time this gets low, I'd like you to fill it up without asking." Just keep this thing full. Was he full. young? Maybe it was his first No, he wasn't job. young. Okay. <laughs> he was like probably older than me. That's why it's annoying. Yeah. It's like you may be the owner of this place. It's like just keep the water full. You never ask do you want more water. Yeah, and as a waiter, that, like refilling the water is a way for you to check in with the table without, you know, interrupting a conversation. And then if you show up, you fill the water and they need something, then you're there to, you know, for, yeah. to, to respond. When I was a waiter, when people would drink Cokes, I would just, when their Coke was about halfway empty, I would just bring them a fresh Coke. I mean, I was so on it. Anyway, so that's where I've been, Raleigh, North Carolina. I had a great time. Honestly, I had a great time. And um, I just, uh, I'm happy to be doing shows. I did five shows. Oh, my friend Alicia came. She brought a crew. Uh, We used to work together at Hyman's. And so she came the late show Saturday. I didn't know what show she was going to come to. I haven't been doing the Hyman's jokes every show. But we worked together at Hyman. So when I knew she was at a show, I was going to do the jokes for her, for her friends. And, um, but, you know, we've been through four shows and she had not been to a show. So I was like, I don't know, maybe she's not going to come. You know, that happens. You go to a city and people go, yeah, I'm going to come. And then they don't come. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, man, when, when are you coming to town this weekend? All right. And they don't show up. <laughs> yeah. Let me know when you're town next time. Yeah, exactly. But uh, she came. So about halfway through the show, uh, someone yells, Hyman's, <laughs> right? And it it threw me for a minute. And then I was like, I said, I was like, that's probably a weird thing to hear. If you're just in the audience, you know, no context, and you just hear somebody yell out, Hyman's. And um, and then somebody, somebody else goes, Seafood. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but that probably doesn't clear anything up for the rest of the audience either. No one's going, oh, Hyman, seafood, we get it. But then I did my Hyman's jokes. It was great. Really fun. A lot of fun. And she brought a crew. And I think that. So that you did some requests. Yeah. Late night yeah, show. I did. And I think her crew is probably uh, of, of some ilk of restaurant people. Is ilk the right word? Yeah. You ever heard me use a word like that? Yeah, that's a great descriptive word, Dusty. Yeah, and of restaurant people. So when I do drinking jokes, they get it, and that's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so that's where I've been, Raleigh, North Carolina. A lot of fun. 
Uh, it is still pretty locked down. So it was less fun than what I would like to have been. Oh, I, oh, I did this. Because uh, I talked a little bit about grounding and earthing last week. I went, I was feeling after, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, I just didn't eat well. And, and I just was not feeling great. And I went and I had been trapped in a hotel all day Friday because it was a little cold and it was raining. Saturday was a nice day. I went to a park there, uh, like a kind of a hiking trail. And I went into the woods, and I took uh, an off-the-beaten-path trail, and I took my shoes and socks off, and I walked the whole trail barefooted. And when I came out of there, I felt great. It was amazing. I'm all about the earthing, all about the grounding. It'd be dusty. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about it. It's amazing. Like, at one point, I, I, as I came off the trail, there was, like, a family there, and I just kind of emerged from the woods barefooted. <laughs> I can't imagine what they thought, but... <clears throat> I was having a great time. All right, so now where I'm going. I'm going this weekend, Friday and Saturday, to Lexington, Kentucky, to Comedy Off-Broadway. A club I've been to a couple of times, a club I really like. I like Lexington. I've been to Lexington many times because we used to do the University of Kentucky, a Tom Sobel gig, where we would go and headline that uh, college there, which was always a bad gig, but always fun. Like, there wouldn't—I mean, I've done so many colleges— and this is the only college that I've done that's not associated with, like, my agents and stuff. This was older back in the day, years ago. Um, it's a pretty – it's a big state college, though. Like, it's not just some, you know, little community college. I mean, it's University of Kentucky, right? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. But they just can never really get people out to the shows. Yeah. Whereas when I do all these other colleges, uh, you know, Utah Valley University um, – uh, the University of Missouri, I did one in Kansas. I forget exactly what that university was, but they pack it out. It's tons of people there. But um, not a lot at University of Kentucky. But anyway, I love Lexington, so I'm excited to go. And I've been to Comedy Off-Broadway twice, never as a headliner. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about the times that I've been there. The first time I was there, I was going to be featuring for John Lovitz. Now, this is a great, um, just a... A bit of a lesson for people sending avails. I had been sending avails to Comedy Off-Broadway every month for months. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, a year and a half maybe. And I never even got a response. I never got a, uh, we can't use you this month, try us next month. I mean, I never even got a response. And then one day, they emailed me and they said, uh, can you, op can you come this weekend? I guess they had had a fallout, something happened. They go, can you come this weekend? And I was like, yes, I can. And so I got uh, a weekend with John Lovitz. I was thrilled. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday shows, I believe. And I was thrilled, pumped. I love John Lovitz, big fan. So a couple of comics had messaged me saying that John Lovitz wasn't a very good stand-up. Right, and they were saying I'll be interested to see how this weekend's gonna go for you, and I was like, okay. I mean, I'm like, no need to try to ruin it for me. I love John Lovitz, so I get there, and on Thursday I have like an amazing show. I mean, I'm crushing it, right? And then John Lovitz goes up, and he doesn't do that well. It's actually was pretty awkward how bad it went, right? And I thought, oh no, and. People were coming up to me, and this is what I loved. I love this so much because people go, 
they go, you should have been the headliner. And I'm like, well, if my name was on the marquee, you wouldn't have come. <laughs> You're here because you want to see John Lovitz. Yeah. And so to those people who said those things to me, uh, I will be there headlining this weekend. Come on out. Now's your time. But I want to say that happened on Thursday. There was three more shows. We had one show Friday, two Saturday. John Lovett's got a standing ovation those three other shows. I don't know what happened to him that Thursday night. Maybe it was a travel day for him. Maybe he didn't feel good. But the next three shows, he got a standing ovation every time. I mean, he was crushing it. He came out on fire. And then, after that, I got to work with John Lovitz at Zany's here in Nashville one time. And a uh, lot of fun. Uh, and then, we worked together again in Huntsville. And uh, by the time we worked together in Huntsville, John had really gotten to know me. He, he was pretty standoffish the other times. But by the time we got to Huntsville, he really had gotten to know me. And he was excited to work with me. And every night after the show, we would go out to eat. And uh, John always has a little dog with him in the green room. Like, this is his buddy. And so we would go to this sushi restaurant in Huntsville, Alabama, which seems uh, hilarious, I know. But it was actually really good. And it would be uh, it'd be me and the manager of the stand-up live in Huntsville, Christian, on one side of the table. And... Uh, John Lovitz and his, we were at a booth, right? So it'd be me and Christian on one side and then John and his dog sitting in the booth on the other side. So we would be like a little family there <laughs> and, uh, he would order his dog, you know, some type of fish that his dog would eat or I don't know, maybe it was chicken, probably chicken. And then Christian, the manager, uh, is apparently like deathly allergic to parsley so we had a real weird thing going on. I mean, John's getting his dog, chicken. Christian's like, make sure nothing has parsley in it or I'll immediately die. And I was just like, you know, I'll take a spring roll. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so later, after that weekend, probably a week or two after that weekend, I'm still featuring. I mean, actually... The last weekend that I worked with John in Huntsville, I had gotten a call that I was going to get to do The Tonight Show. So I was opening for John Lovitz, and it was just a two-man show. There was no host, so it was just me and John. So I would go out to a completely cold audience. So um, uh, I got a call that I was going to be doing The Tonight Show. So they were like, the booker for The Tonight Show was like, record your audio each night this weekend of you doing the set and send it to me and I'll give you notes on it. So I was like, okay, great. So I learned because I did uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live and my understanding of how to practice would, would be to do five or 10 minutes on stage and then take a little pause and then do my five minute set because the audience will be a hot audience when I do it live on TV. So just prepare that way. And that was not the case when I did Jimmy Kimmel Live. They were not a hot audience. They were not, no one had done comedy in front of them. They were as cold as can be. And so I learned from that. I was like, all right, we got to practice this way. So the John Lovett show was perfect. I came out completely cold audience. I opened with my Tonight Show five minutes and I was sending it in. It was going great. And then, so that's how I practiced for the Tonight Show. And then later, about two weeks later, John Lovitz emails me one day and he says, can I call you? 
And I was like, yeah, sure. And I'm thinking, all right, he loves me. He's about to line me up with dates. He's like, I want you to go on the road with me. That's what I'm thinking. I'm so pumped. I'm driving to a gig, but I'm like, man, I'm so pumped. I'm about to get all these John Lovitz gigs. And he calls me and he goes, did you tell me that Norm McDonald owed you $1,000? <laughs> and I was like, no. And he was like, he was like, oh, I thought you told me that. And then I was like, no. And then we're just kind of on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, how you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. But apparently, I don't know, him and Norm MacDonald were having some kind of beef with each other, and he wanted some dirt on Norm MacDonald. I don't know. I, and that's what I was asking him because I was like, I don't know. Maybe it was somebody. And I was trying to help him figure it out, but I was like, I have no idea. I was like, I don't know Norm. Uh, the only thing I know about Norm McDonald is in 2014, I did Last Comic Standing, and he was one of the judges, and he said to me, he said, you have a, uh, I didn't get through, but I always, no one knows that he said this except me because no one heard it, but he said, uh, you have a great voice, uh, joke, material comes and goes, but I think you have what it takes to be a great comic, and I was like, hell yeah, Norm McDonald. I was like, that's all I need. Actually, my friend Nick, Nick Donito was there. He might be the only person that could actually validate that i need to get him on get him quoted saying that um and then the next time i worked at comedy off broadway it was featuring for burt kreischer and i had never uh never worked with burt never met burt and that was a really exciting weekend you know i got to go to lunch with burt and but burt told me he was i guess i don't know he was sick so he didn't party at all that weekend i mean he would drink on stage but then he was Either he left and went to his hotel or he left and went and partied and didn't invite me, which either way works for me because I don't want to party. Um, and then, um, but he was saying he was sick. We went to lunch one day and he told me, you know, and I've said this before on there, but he said, you know, if you're going to be working the road like this and not moving to LA, not moving to New York, he's like, you got to be writing all the time. He said, because, you know, and I've said this, but he says, you know, what happens is you, you, um, you build up your hour, you're working the road, you build up your hour, you get a great hour, and then you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And by the time you need to start writing new material, you've stopped working that muscle that helps you write jokes. So you need to be working on something all the time. And I just thought that was such a great lesson. Those shows were amazing with Bert. He sold out everyone. I mean, the I would go in and you would see the staff restocking the beer. And it's like they had to restock the whole thing. I mean, it would, they sold out of everything, and it's amazing. And then on the last night, the last show, I'm sitting, the, the, the office is upstairs in Comedy Up Row, and I'm sitting up there talking to the manager, and he gets a call. They're like, uh, Bert's on stage, and they're like, Bert needs you. So I go down, and Bert is like, uh, pardon the language, but Bert's like, I got to take a shit. And so he calls me onto stage, while he goes to the bathroom. So I've already done my set, and now I got to go up mid his set. And I just did a joke, got a huge laugh, and then he was back. And okay. it was a lot of fun. And so that's my whole, you know, and I got friends that I've made at Comedy Off-Broadway, and uh, it's great. I'm excited to go. And that's my whole Comedy Off-Broadway story. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, a little name dropping, but that's fun. It is name dropping, but you know. But I was, it's real. That's yeah. your story. Yeah, and and then I, you know, I I ended up going on the road with Bert a little bit in mm -hmm. the in the van. I mean, 
In the van. In the, what is it? A tour bus. Tour bus, yeah. Which I enjoyed, but um, I don't get to do any of the Burt tours anymore. I don't know. I assume it's because I'm actually headlining a lot of clubs. And I honestly, you know, I make more money that way and I would rather just headline my own shows. Um, well, I don't think, is Burt really touring right now? Doing drive-in shows. A lot of people are doing drive-in shows, and I got to be honest, I'm sure they're making tons of money doing it, but I'm loving being indoors in a club. Somebody tweeted at me, and they were like, what's the social distancing thing for comedy on Broadway? I'm like, dude, I got no idea. I mean, I assume every club is working it out, but I got no idea. I don't ask those. When I get booked at a club, I don't call them up and go, Please tell me about what you're doing for social distancing. Well, you say that, but I'm sure there are comedians that are saying. I'm sure that's. I'm sure there are, but that's what I'm saying. Is I'm like I I I'm just going to assume the club's got it worked out, but I'm also like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get sick, but I'm like I'm trying to I'm trying to live my life out here. You know what I mean? So that's the thing right now. Is right? It's like people think that if you're like not terrified then you think it's a hoax, right? I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm just trying to live my life out here. So that's a lot of fun. And yesterday, let's talk about what we did yesterday. Oh, yeah. So lately, uh, as most people know that have been listening, me and Hannah, we bought some land. And it's an hour and a half from us. And I like going out there and working. Right, but I go out there, I clear off a little bit of the field. I don't have any kind of tractor equipment. So I got a I got a weed eater with a blade on it, and I'm just out there clearing off land. And it's a lot of fun, but after about an hour, I'm pretty wore out. And what I want to do is sit down and chill to regain my strength and then go back to working. But we don't have anything out there. We don't have any kind of cabin or anything like that. So we've been looking at stuff. We've been looking at metal sheds to convert into a house. We've been looking at wooden sheds to convert into a house. We've looked at an Amish cabin. Uh, and we've looked recently, I found that some uh, modular home trailers, they have, there's a one bedroom trailer out there and the price is pretty good. So yesterday we rode out uh, to Lafayette, Tennessee to a trailer plant and we took a tour of the plant. Of them making And we didn't really know that's what we were going to get. We thought we were just going to go sit down with a lady and she'd talk to us about her trailers. Yeah. But she, you know, she gave us some glasses and and uh, we got on a little dinghy and she drove a golf cart and she just drove us around the factory and told us how they make their trailers. Yeah. I mean, we got to see the inner working of the factories and saw people building trailers. And Lots then, of people. Yeah. Big operation. And then we toured the trailer. Mm-hmm. And upon leaving, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I like that. That's what I'm going to do. Because the thing about the, we didn't, we don't want to get a trailer, but Dusty really wants to put something on this land, you know, yesterday. And so through doing research about, you know, constructing a structure or a uh, little home, it, it sounds so easy because, you know, it's such a movement right now, but it's not because there's all these state laws and codes that you have to fulfill in order to be able to hook your 
home up to water, sewer, electricity. So the more I looked into it, I was like, this is such a headache. We don't have any experience in doing something like this. This is going to take a long time. And I feel like it's going to be more expensive than we think just through the virtue of the fact that we don't know what we're doing. And there's probably going to be people and their labor that will be taking advantage of us. But, you know, when I went through Warren County, which is where our land is, all the codes and, and stuff like that, it has, you know, 40 different rules of codes that you have to abide by when you build something. And then at the bottom, it said uh, modular homes or trailers are exempt from any of these rules. So right, because it's they, so they easy meet, to just plop a trailer on land and get going. Right, because as the lady at the factory told us, I mean, they have their own codes that they have to go through. They have their so, own inspectors. So it's not that they're exempt. It's that they've already gone through that. They've gone through the headaches. And so that's kind of why we, we started to pretty quickly go from making our own home to just getting a trailer because presumably we could get it up on that land soon. But I think I've decided. I have till today. They have a pretty tremendous sale going on for these trailers. But I think I've decided I don't want to do that. It's not anything about not wanting to be in a trailer. It's that it's not what I want. Like the trailer is honestly so nice inside that it feels like some of the apartments that I've lived in where it's just like, I don't really want to live in an apartment on the land. I want something rustic. That's why I like the Amish cabin. I want something simple. I don't want a lot of electricity. I mean, I want lights. I want air conditioner. I want heat. But I want, um, you know, a little more rustic. So that's what I'm going to keep looking for. If anybody out there knows about cabins, knows about, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, hit me up because I'm looking to build. You know, I want plumbing in there. I'm going to put a septic tank out there. But I... I want something rustic, something that feels, you know, it's got a real cabin feel to it. I think we should go with the Amish cabin. I think so, too. But, I mean, the guy seems to build one a year, and I think we might have missed our boat. Well, that's just because we talked to one Amish guy that we ran into one day. We could find plenty of Amish down there. Yeah. Well, we need to go down there and talk to him, that's for sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and get, get us some kind of cabin built because I'm all about it. But I do want rustic. I don't want trailer. Nothing against trailers. I mean, honestly, the second trailer we looked at was a two-bedroom. I mean, it was so nice. It's yeah. unbelievable how nice it was. And But I don't know. I can't do it. I, I want to feel like I'm out in nature. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. I want, you know, I don't know. I'm, but I'm, it was fun to go out there and take that tour. Such a fun time. And, uh, and I got a newfound respect for trailers. Not enough respect to buy one, but. Well, it's, yeah, again, it's not even uh, that. I mean, to me, to me, a trailer looks best in a trailer park, to be honest with you. I think it's, I don't know, I think that's fun. I dig the community of it, but I don't know. My dad put his mother-in-law, He moved, his mother-in-law lived about two hours away from him, and he moved her close. She's getting older. He moved her close and put her on his land uh, pretty close to him. And we went over there, and it's just a trailer in a field, and I didn't like the feel of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's nice, it's good for her, but I didn't like the feel. So I'm not trying to. But it would be cool if I moved into a trailer, and then I could say that I live in a trailer for the third time. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost, you know, 
I don't know what you're thinking. You you should you should do that. Yeah, but I don't know. So the third and final time. We had another thing that we wanted to talk about, I felt like. Oh, I did last night I did shows uh with John Christ at Zanies. I've done a couple with him now. And tonight I'm doing uh and that was a lot of fun. The John Christ crowds are a lot of fun. And then tonight I'm doing um oh and more name dropping. You know, Theo Vaughn lives in town now. He did the show. So you know, and, and, and a lot of a lot of L.A. people were in town. Uh, Nashville's become very L.A. now. We had uh, Hollywood. L.A. manager I know named Andy was there uh, and uh, had some agents in the room. And it was, you know, I mean, what's fun is it's like all these agents and managers from L.A. pop into the green room and I know them. And I'm like, that's fun. But also it's like it's becoming very industry uh, in, in Nashville. And, uh, uh, and I mainly want to sit in there and talk to, uh, uh, Connor and Lucy, but, um, I was fun to see them. And, um, tonight I'm doing shows with Aaron Weber at Zany's. So I'll be doing, well, one show, I'll be doing one show. He's recording an album. So I think they're pretty close to sold out, but Try to get some tickets today if you can because it's going to be a hot show. Aaron's going to have a good show. It's going to be a good crew. I think Connor's on the show. I'm on the show. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, there was something else you wanted to talk about, Hannah. I don't know. I think I can't think of what it was. We talked about the trailer tour. We talked about the music. We talked about your shows. I don't know. Oh, we watched Tremors. Oh, we did watch Tremors. That's a lot of fun. We should have planned out a little better. We thought that everything would take longer that we had to talk about. Yeah, well, we've probably been doing this for an hour. Uh, we haven't. And yeah. um, I have the time. I got it. I got it locked down here. But I don't know if you've seen Tremors. We ordered Tremors off Amazon, and we ordered uh, because the best way to get it was to buy four movies. So we have Tremors 1 through 4, which I don't think most people knew there were four Tremors. <laughs> uh, we, I, I knew there was a second Tremors. I didn't know there was four, but that's it's Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Reba McIntyre. It's actually a pretty good cast of people, and it's a lot of fun. The Asian man from um, um, from uh, the Golden Child, uh, the guy that Eddie Murphy said that he was picking his nose and he wiped a booger on something, and uh, Golden Child's a great movie. Have you seen that? No. Oh man, you should watch that. It's one of Eddie Murphy's best movies. I thought you were gonna say Karate Kid. Uh, no, no, that's that would be Mr. Miyagi, and that's not who is mm. in the movie. That is, uh, I forget his name, but he was also in Happy Days. Mm. I don't know if you know that. But Tremors is a classic film, and our friend came over and watched it with us, and we all had seen it in our childhood, and we all remembered it as being a scary movie when we were young. And then revisiting it as adults um, really put some perspective on that. Yeah. Uh, because it's obviously a very silly movie. Um, but just great in the way, you know, it was, I think it was made in like 1989. And it just had, you know, those corny one-liner jokes to kind of cap off a scene or to, you know, say something after something dramatic happens. and But stuff that make those movies great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like just classic cheese americana um you know these these tremors underground just just oh. sort of fun and yeah we've been watching a lot of movies what was the movie we watched the clint eastwood oh, movie? yeah 
Oh man. Um oh no, I forget. But that movie, wow. Um oh babe, I forget what that was called. It was uh about Clint Eastwood. He was a He was from Arizona. He, he was an Arizona cop and he had to go to New York yes. to transport a something's pa- blunt bluff. Like he was he his, Coogan's bluff. Coogan's bluff. Yeah. And this movie, okay, this movie was made in 1968, which debatably was one of the most contentious times in, you know, the last hundred years in American history. This is, you know, when riots in the 60s were really taken off, the hippie movement in San Francisco and across the country was taking off, you know, sexual revolution, drugs, you know, the old way is changing into this new way that's going to lead into like, you know, the decay of the 1970s. So it was a really good study of sort of the hippie movement, the peak hippie movement in the 1960s. Um, and then Coogan, Eastwood's character, has a real disdain for this because he's like, you know, a country boy from Arizona coming to New York City. But the thing about it is he and this was. This was the first movie he made with the director that he would go on to make Dirty Harry with. So this was the beginning of like his famous, you know, kind of badass cop character that he would go on to play. But this was his first iteration of this archetype. And it really does show you how charming Clint Eastwood is because he plays a pretty deplorable character. He's he low-key sexually harasses I don't women. Know that, I don't know that he says terrible things to women. I don't know that that's the way I feel about him. I don't I don't know that, but you're right about the way he's treating women. Yeah. For he, sure. He he says terrible things to women. He th- manipulates is, them and there's but one, he's like, you know, he's the good guy in the movie. There's one scene though. It's like it's it's just there's one scene where he's walking into the police station. Is it L.A. or is it New York City? Or maybe he's San Francisco? New, New York. Okay. So he's in New York City. He's in this police precinct. And there's this woman uh, who's a cop or a counselor or some kind of thing. And she's talking with uh, presumably a, a criminal client of hers. And the guy keeps like he's touching like her name tag and stuff like that. And then he just straight up grabs her boob. Right. Yeah. In the police precinct, in the police precinct. And she's just like, kind of like, ha, 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 stop it, stop it. And so Clint Eastwood smacks the guy across the face. Right. And he's like, stop doing that. And then the guy runs off and they fight. And then basically Clint Eastwood goes over to her house and does that to her. (laughs) He doesn't grab her boob, but he's just trying to make out with her the entire time. And then, you know, she basically kicks him out. She kicks him out the first time, but then they kind of have this on and off relationship throughout the movie. And he really kind of leads her on and basically makes her fall in love with him. But then he ends up sleeping with one of the criminal women who I think is 17. She's 17. Her character was 17 in the movie. Yeah. Um, And um, (laughs) so, and then, and then he, but he, it seemed like he basically slept with her for information. Yes. Right. Like he, he, he wasn't necessarily trying to do that, but he was like, just, but he was an enjoying, he was enjoying it. Sure he was, but he was like, just (laughs) tell, he was like, just tell me where so-and-so's at. And she's like, I'll tell you after. And then they bang. And then, the lady that kicked him out shows back up all mad. Yeah. I mean, it's a wild movie. It's Coogan's Bluff, 1968. 
But yeah, I mean, I thought he was, you know, he was like a character that was like, I don't want to go to New York, but I'm going. I'm just trying to get this guy and get out of here. But the police chief keeps giving him the runaround, and that's the problem. Yeah, like I didn't know if it was like a cop movie or if it was just like a sleazy sex movie. But I love those old Clint Eastwood movies. I mean, this is like Clint Eastwood coming right out of the Western Clint Eastwood. Yeah. So. Yeah, this was his first movie with the director that would, I think the next movie they made after this was Dirty Harry. And it's like, you got to have patience with movies like this because I think that we're so used to these new fast paced movies. Like every time we watch a movie like this, the first 45 minutes, Hannah is like, I really like this. And then at about an hour, she goes, oh, I'm tired of this. This is moving too slow. And it's like they just, because, you know, you got to think nowadays we have streaming services with thousands of movies on it. We can pick and choose anything we want. Back then, Coogan's Bluff probably came out and it was at the theater. And that was like the only thing you could watch. So people didn't mind that it was slow moving because they were just being entertained. Yeah. And they didn't mind that Clint Eastwood was you know, harassing these women because probably most of them were just happy to see uh, attractive women. Yeah. Right. Well, it is interesting when I watch movies like that, even like movies from the 90s, you know, basically pre any movie pre 2014. You know, I don't think of myself as a uh, feminist or that or that like that, you know, in the sense that you think of them today. But I do feel like I have a built-in feminism at this point just from existing and being my age that when I see certain movies, I'm like, wow, that does not hold up to standards today. Like that is so sexist or gross. Or well, The interesting thing is that our, our world is being cleaned up in a sense of we're not, we, got, we know that we shouldn't treat women that way now based on political correctness, right? But it's like really from a Christian perspective – we should never treat women that way either. Like things, things got, uh, I feel like things got away from us so much morally that we had to like clean it up again. But it's like from a Christian perspective, and I know that Christians are depicted doing those things. And I know that people that are Christians uh, also act that way, but it's like, we shouldn't be right. You know, that's an interesting point because maybe that's maybe more so my filter now than anything because I'll even watch, you know, Comedy Central shows that I watched six or seven years ago. And I just thought, oh, this is a hilarious show. This is, you know, this is just what I would watch. And now I watch those same shows and I'm like, this is vile. This is terrible. I can't believe like this is what young people are being, you know, put through. Like watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia the other day. Like that's a show that I really love. But we started watching. I haven't seen it in a long time. Started watching it the other day and it's like, geez. Yeah, really. And uh, Workaholics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Always Sunny, even back the first time I watched it, I felt the same way that I felt. I felt like you almost have to, what, in order to watch Always Sunny for me, I have to realize, all right, every character on this show is a bad person. And every person on here will take advantage of the other person if they get the opportunity. That way you never feel sorry for the people getting done wrong because you know they would do it too. Well, it's weird because like in shows like those, you know, every like some episodes are so funny and standalone awesome. And then some episodes are so sexual and just overwrought with that kind of stuff. And it just kind of ruins it. This was this one of the episodes we watched was a, a episode where they're on the 
skiing on the mountain, yeah. which is actually a really fun episode. But there's a scene with Charlie and like a Russian yeah. prostitute that was straight up softcore porn. Yeah, they were having sex. Like that's the kind of thing that when I was a young teenager, I would wait for HBO to have on it, you know, uh, to experience coming into manhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's straight up softcore porn. Yeah. <laughs> and it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're like, what? I know. It's wild. Yeah. So, but that's fun. And we've watched uh, watched Tremors. Uh, we watched all of the Planet of the Apes movies. We talked about that. We watched a, a, a Rambo. We watched Rambo 2 oh, yeah. recently. I, we have a pretty extensive DVD collection. And I'm <laughs> I'm really into owning DVDs because, to be honest... I don't know when a streaming service is going to decide that they're not going to show a movie anymore. You know, it's like you'll you'll have it like you'll have a movie on Netflix and then all of a sudden it's not on Netflix anymore. And then you're like, oh, dang, I want to watch it. So I'm into buying DVDs. We have a place called McKay's Bookstore here and it's used books and, and, and DVDs and it's amazing. And um, they have no bad reviews except for people that uh, want to be social distanced. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but... I'm a big fan of the store, and I, I want I, I want to find another movie that we've watched recently just to because uh, I love talking about this. But you know what I'm going to do? We got a couple minutes left. I'm going to play the Rusty Cage song. I'm going to I'm not going to play the whole thing. Probably a minute of of the first one, and then a minute of the Johnny Cash version. So that you down with that? Yes. So this is Rusty Cage um, by Soundgarden. Quite the long intro here. Oh, sorry about that. Dang. Okay, so that's that, and wow, uh, also feels like the, what a great song, though. Chris Cornell was great, and Soundgarden was great. I feel like my soul is being sucked out a little bit in that song, too, but uh, he's great, really great voice. People often talk about Audio Slave and about how kind of stupid that was, but that was a combination of the band from Rage Against the Machine, minus Zach Della Roca, and, um, and Chris Cornell as the lead singer. And they were great. I mean, they not didn't. that my opinion in music means anything, um, but I liked Audio Slave when I was in high school. Yeah, I liked them too. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, I get it if you're a you know a big uh, 
Soundgarden fan or a big Rage fan. I actually was a pretty big Rage Against the Machine fan, and I uh, listened to them. I, I have a, I have a, um, I have an old school uh, iPod that has forty five hundred songs on it, and I just plug that into the car and just let it shuffle, and then it plays songs from all over my life. Uh, you know, because it's music I've been collecting for years. And a couple of Rage Against the Machine songs came on, and I haven't listened to Rage Against the Machine in a while. And I was like, this music's badass. Like, I love listening to Rage Against the Machine while driving down the road. Like, he's like, rebel against the system, fight the system, fight the system. And then I see everybody on the sidewalks with masks on, and I'm like, I love it. It's so fun. And uh, I wonder what Zach Delaroca would say. All right, so here is Rusty Cage by Johnny Cash. You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nails You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run. Okay, so that's it. So I'm sure, you know, the hardcore Sound, Soundgarden fans still like that, ver- still like Chris Cornell's version better. But I love the Johnny Cash version, and I want to do a whole thing, a whole whole take of that. So, all right, well, that's it. We are uh, ha- having a good time. We have another episode in the books, and we are having a good time. Thank you, Hannah, for rejoining us. Hey, it's great to be back here, Dusty, back in here in the studio. And my friend Evan Burke, uh, we, we didn't mention, has moved in here with us. He's, oh, yeah. he's getting integrated into Nashville. He's living with us for a little while uh, while he finds his own place. And um, if you see him around town, welcome him to the community. Uh, he's going to be looking to do some comedy. He's going to be looking to have a good time. He's a lot of fun. And uh, thank you, guys. We're having a good time.